Good morning. Yeah, I was actually supposed to teach in junior church this morning. As I see the kids going back, it's like, yeah, well, I get another chance later. Great is your faithfulness. Our key verse this morning is Malachi 3.6. And it reads, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I would like to read that whole passage to get the context. This is indeed the key verse and the key thought. But join me with Malachi 3.1. Behold, I am going to send you my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the message of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in the Bible. Father, for 66 books, by 40 authors, in three continents, written over 1,500 years, without contradiction. Lord, you have shown us who you are. Father, we pray that you would allow us to understand not only that which is close, not only that which is imminent, Lord, but but who you are transcendently, who you are as the creator who you are as the one that holds it all together from the beginning to eternity. So Lord, as we start to pursue this understanding, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would indeed see Jesus come before you with hearts bowed in anticipation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the Spirit, as he would have it, gives me a little bit of a blanket, 
with Penny being up here for years. Uh, she led worship out of the prison, and I would follow her. So that felt very comfortable. But as she mentioned, we are going to talk about the immunity. And somebody says the immunity. The immutability. The immutability of God. It's not the immunity of God. It's the immutability of God. And the idea that God does not change. Well, that sounds like a relatively simple concept. But as we look at this, as we begin to understand what that means, our mind begins to expand in our thoughts about God. In this passage in Malachi, Israel, at that time, is really robbing God. They're offering impure, blemished sacrifices. They're honoring blasphemers. They're calling evil good and good evil. They're justifying sin. They're withholding tithes. They're entering into sorcery and perversion. And all those things that follow underneath those headings. These are those things that that in response to the time of Noah was said, every imagination is evil. Every thought is evil. Every action is motivated by evil. But God is faithful in his covenant promises. And God's statement is, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. He did address it. He does address it. We see that even in our own lives. He introduces into our lives those things that conform us to the image of Christ. And he's consistent and faithful in that. When we're zigging and we're supposed to be zagging, God has his ways of letting us know that we are not walking in obedience. He is faithful. God does not turn away from his promises. He does not turn away from his covenant people. His love, his grace, his provision for salvation is irrevocable. Exodus 15 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working in wonders? God is faithful. That's the peace that's close. That's the peace that is imminent. The idea that God understands exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're struggling with. He knows your thoughts. He knows your prayers. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Mine's pretty easy. 
But I also want to talk about not only that which is close, that which is imminent, but I also want to talk about that which is transcendent. The Gaithers, the Gaither band, I'm probably dating myself. The, uh, but they've got a number of songs that I really like. And there was one that was very interesting that I really, it was very thought-provoking. It was called A New Point of View. And the song t- starts out with going up in a hot air balloon. And, and floating across the landscape, he looks down. And he sees all these tiny things. He sees all these tiny cars and tiny houses and tiny swimming pools and all these things that we strive for, that we, that we value, that we, that we gain our value from. And he speaks of how we, within our limited scope, our limited understanding, our preoccupation with self, kind of loses the picture of of who God is. We become preoccupied with with what God can do for us, with what God does for us, as opposed to recognizing and entering into and pursuing an understanding of who God really is. Not just our helper, but who God really is. Not just our friend, and all those things are true, but also God is the creator. Also God is the sustainer. God is immutable. God does not change. We do. I mean, it's not just our changes from day to day and our changes to mind and just uh, really kind of dictated by our feelings. But the reality of it is every 16 days, nearly 100% of the water in our bodies are exchanged if we are healthy. Every 16 days. And heavy elements like carbon and sodium and potassium take occupancy far longer, perhaps eight months. In about a year, in about a year, every atom in your body would have been exchanged. And somebody says, you don't seem like the same person. (laughs) You're not. You know, for me, 70 times removed. interesting thought not a single atom in your body remains there forever and there is a 100% chance that thousands of other humans through history held some of the same atoms that you currently hold in your body it's a weird thought God does not change We change in our body. We change in our head. We change in our heart. One of the things I want to talk about here is God does not change in his essence. God does not change in his attributes. 
God does not change in his plans. God does not change in his promises. Now we, I've really appreciated going into this study. Because one of the things that happens is, even as Psalm 50 says, says, you thought that I was like you. And we do. It's interesting when we are, it catches us those moments where we're not consciously, intentionally thinking about God, but maybe it's our reflexive prayer time or our Bible study. And at the same time, we're thinking about those things that are in and around our lives. And we find ourselves, if we think about them, think about our thinking, we actually do, we actually do anticipate that God is like us. He's going to think the same things that we do. If he's going to do the right thing, then he would do the right thing like we would do. And it's easy to get into. It is really easy to get into. But as we think about this, as, as we hang on to that and go through this, uh, I'll go back to touching bases with that. But God does not change in his essence. When I first said that, I thought, okay, what does that mean? So I looked it up. And essence, Latin, essentia, but it's interesting. It's a it's a polysemic it's a poly it's a polysemic term, which means having various meanings and uses. So it can mean whatever you want it. That's not real helpful. But essence really is this is that property or set of properties or attributes that make an entity or substance what it fundamentally is. That's more helpful. Essence is, the essence of God is that which makes him God. The essence of God is his divinity. The essence of God is his character. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, says, God is Jehovah, and he changes not in his essence. Now, we cannot tell you what the Godhead is. We do not know what substance that is, which we call God, but he is an existence. He is a being, but what that is, we know not. I appreciate his honesty. God is spirit. However, what he is, we call it his essence. And that essence never changes. That's what makes God, God, never changes. Exodus 3. We've all heard of the burning bush that Moses encountered. And he gave Moses' direction, take off his sandals. He's on holy ground. 
And he said to Moses, when he asked, who should I say sent me? Who are you, Lord? He says, I am who I am. I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and my memorial name to all generations. God's essence, God's divinity, who God is does not change. God's attributes do not change. Attributes are individual characteristics. I've appreciated since we've gone into this series, the uh, Mike spoke on his immensity and his grace. Tom spoke on his mercy. Aaron spoke on his infinitude, his goodness, his justice. And each one of those, each one of those things, once again, you address it from the, from the, from the imminent, that which is right here, to the transcendent, that which is out there. This is not a complete thought about any one of those, unless we place it, unless we place it under the heading of God. His attributes, as we enter into this, speaking of his attributes, it's really hard to, it's hard not to speak about immutability without speaking about his attributes. And each one of these that I mentioned will be addressed more in detail in the future. So I'm not encroaching. But each one of his attributes can really be divided by those things that are communicable, those things that that we may at some level share in common with God. You know, we see some of those things listed like in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those could be attributes of God. And those are attributes of ours too, which we grow in application and understanding. His attributes that are non-communicable is omniscience. God knows all things perfectly, all the time, immediately. He knows all contingencies, but his knowledge His actions are not contingent on anything. He has all power. He's omnipotent. All power. All motion. He is the the unmoved mover. Comes from God. Omnipresent. 
He is fully everywhere, all the time. He is with you. He is with me. He's controlling the motion of the planets. He's in the outermost limits of the universe, whatever that means. But God is omnipresent everywhere, all the time. God is the creator. God is the creator. I love starting there. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I've always liked the statement by R.C. Sproul. This aligns with physics. If there was ever a time where there was nothing, there would still be nothing. If there was ever a time when there was nothing, there would still be nothing. It was interesting, I was at one of our functions here at the church, and there was a couple young kids and his father there. And one of the children, one of the children was, was fully on board. He loved the idea of God. He loved Jesus. And they were really smart. They were smart kids. And the other one, he was struggling with that idea of who created God. Who created God? He could not get past that. God is the uncaused cause. He is the unmoved mover. He always has been, always will be. He is from eternity past to eternity future. Time. C.S. Lewis has a great illustration. He says that time is like a, and I think Mike used this once, it was, it was like a, a table that stretched out infinitely in all directions. And you took a pencil and you made a one inch mark. And that one inch is human history. And God is everywhere on that table, including human history, 100% of the time, all the time. You know, but we look out, even as we speak of the things of the body, and the exchange of our atoms, and the, the perpetual renewal that we have that extends our lives, even though we are subject to entropy over time, that tells us about God, the complexity. And we look out into the, 
heavens and the universe. And even as Mike spoke of the immensity here a while back, and he said, talked about in our own Milky Way, there are billions of planets, billions of planets. We can look at that. We can look at the, the, the micro, and we can look at the macro. And that testifies to who God is. Anybody got a headache? (laughs) But as we go to that, to the center, as we go to the, the outer reaches, it all testifies. It all testifies to who God is. Psalm 19 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Romans 1, verses 19 says, That which is known about God is evident. It's evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. Natural revelation. Eternal. Immortal. Infinite. Psalm 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now we live in a great place. You know, I'm thankful over the uh, 40 plus years we've been here. We came here in 1978. I've been on the top of Olympus, I've been to the bottom of the ocean or the Straits. Did you know that in the Straits of Georgia, in the Straits of Juan de Fuca, that, that numerically, in terms of uh, plant and animal life, in this similar area, there is more plant and animal life, diversity of plant and animal life, than any other area of equal size in the world. I mean, it's pretty incredible. We live in a, in a crazy area where God's creation, we have... Species that are unique to the Olympics only. They're not found anywhere else in the world. Of insects, of animals, of plants. I love it here. God's creativity is just mind-blowing. God's mind is incomprehensible to mankind. Once again, this is one of those things that as we are in our prayer time, in our reading, in our thinking, to understand that that what we are seeing is a minute piece of who God is. God's mind is incomprehensible. He is inscrutable, unfathomable, unsearchable, and past finding out as far as us being able to understand him comprehensively. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways 
your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This really is is an introduction. And I don't know that we have much time, much more time than that. It was interesting in preparation for this, I actually did read some some academic theological pointy head papers. And I would get done reading them, and then I read a couple to Pam to find out if I should incorporate them in our talk. And there wasn't much more you could say other than, all righty then. <laughs> but even, even as we look at and stare at and grow in an understanding of, of who God is, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. And it just keeps going. As we look out, and we see that there are billions of planets just in our own Milky Way, as we look at time and space, and then as we, as, we, as we come to just the micro, and the microbiologists and those that study the atoms and the quarks and the other things, it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. And it all came into being because God spoke. His power is impotent, is omnipotent. His power is unlimited and complete. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He's everywhere, knows everything, whether past, present, or future. And then there is the attribute of His holiness. the attributes of His holiness that permeates all His other attributes. His transcendent holiness. The holiness that separates Him from all moral defilement. Our God is a consuming fire. And His holy wrath against sin is to be feared. Indeed, to be feared. His holiness is tempered by His grace. And I'm not sure that's even the right word. One of the things that we also deal with, and it's one of the components of, his, of, of the complexity, is His simplicity. One of the issues regarding His complexity is His simplicity. His simplicity says that his mercy and his justice, his holiness, is not in conflict with one another. In my years at the prison as a manager out there, I continually struggled with what constitutes mercy and what constitutes the application of justice in that environment with an eye toward, with the goal of making things better for society. And it was just a, it was a continual struggle. 
Within that time, I got it right most of the time as I grew in the job, but uh, not always. But God always gets it right. God's justice is not in conflict with his mercy. God's justice is not in conflict with his holiness. God's, God's wrath is not in conflict with his grace. That's the simplicity of God. We don't have that. God's attributes, who he is. You know, once again, that's another one of these things that it just keeps going. God does not change his essence. God does not change his attributes. God does not change his plans. Did you know that only 25% of college graduates work in their area, work in their education of study, work in their field of study? 25%. We change a lot. Change our plans a lot. We have a tendency to move toward pleasure and move away from pain. We're pretty quick to change our mind, pretty quick to change our plans. It's, uh, there's probably a lot of us that uh, our life would be dictated to by, this ain't no fun anymore, I'm out of here. But that's not God. God operates in time. He operates outside of time. And what he does in time, he planned from eternity. And what he planned in eternity, he carries out in time. And all that he has in his word committed himself to do, he will infallibly do it. It will infallibly be done. God does not change his plans. Psalm 33 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are from generation to generation. One of the things that we talk about, he moves in and out of time. As I thought about what that looks like, the analogy of C.S. Lewis, I, I thought about... When I was a kid, there was <clears throat> up in the closet in the back room. My dad had these little books. It was, it was called the Little Big Books. Any of you old guys know what that is? Little Big Books are about, about five foot by, by, about five inches by four inches there. And <clears throat> they were they're like pre-comic books. And what was interesting about them, in the corner there was pictures you know, there was the story. But in the corner, there was pictures. And you'd, you'd open that up, and you'd rub your finger across the edge of that, and it would, it would roll the pages on that. And, and the characters would move as that, as that changed. It was really pretty cool on that. He kind of gave a science lesson here to a kid. The, uh, 
about that, but it was interesting. You could stop. And there's, there I am, looking at a point in time in that process. Or I could change it. I could, I could, I could make my own, or I could draw that. But as I, as I flipped them over and did it, and did it again, or stopped it, or changed it, run it backwards, I thought, maybe that's like God in time. I don't need to be trite, the, uh, but it's just trying to understand how he's omnipresent, how he's in time and out of time. First Samuel. First Samuel 15 says, Also the glory of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Key issue there. God is not a man. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. As he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Some of these things, once again, it's hard to get out of that, that mindset that, that God is like us. God has the same values. God has the same limitations. If God was going to do right, then he would do the way I would do it. But he is not like us. One of the big ways that God is not like us is he is impassable. Interesting word. I mean, I caught that in one of my pointy head papers, and so God is impassable. So I looked it up on the internet, and it says, he cannot pass. <laughs> I don't think that's the right one. But what is what is spoke of in a different one? It was it was God is impassionate. He is impassionate. He is not dictated to by his emotions. We are. Emotions we have gotten to a place in our society where emotions are those things that confirm truth. Emotions uh or a natural byproduct of our thoughts. You know, if I want to be angry about something, what do I have to do? I got to keep thinking about it. But as we talk about God's wrath, His wrath of God is not driven by emotions. You know, our wrath, our anger. You know, we become angry, stress goes high, cognitive ability goes low. The lights go off in the frontal lobe. We default to the limbic flight, flight reflex. And then we do what we do. Usually have to apologize to somebody afterwards. But, but God is not driven by emotions. God is driven by who he is. By his will. His wrath. His His infinite will carries through with his plan that is set from the beginning of time. 
God does not change his plan. Now it's true. It's true. There is a, there is a group of passages, there's a group of uh, verses that would lead you to believe that, that God changes his mind based upon his emotions. There's passages that talk about he changed his mind. He was sorrowed. He repented. You pull up the experts and, uh, and align that with the other passages around who God is. And the explanation is these are anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. What that means is, is you know, the passage that says, you know, is, is God's arm long enough? You know, God don't have arms. He's spirit. His eyes travel to and fro. God don't have eyes. He's spirit. God is not a man. But we have a tendency to, to give to God our characteristics. And also, in his, his word, he has given those things so that it meets us within the context of our understanding. Going back to Psalm 50, it says, These things you have done, and I kept silence. And he's talking about sin. He says, You thought that I was just like you. God is not a man. You know, G.I. Packer writes, Repenting means revising one's judgment and changing one's plan of action. God never does this. He never needs to, for his plans are made on the basis of a complete knowledge and control which extends to all things, past, present, and future. So that there can be no sudden emergencies or unlooked-for developments to take him by surprise. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The reference in each case is to a reversal of God's previous treatment of particular men consequent upon their reaction to that treatment. But there is no suggestion that this reaction was not foreseen or that it took God by surprise and was not provided for in his eternal plan. No changes in eternal purpose is implied when he begins to deal with a person in a new way. God's plan does not change. God is absolutely immutable. He is unchangeable. His greatest plan. His greatest plan was first revealed in Genesis 3.15. Or after the fall. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That is the revealing of the provision of Christ for our sin, for our restoration. In James 1, verses 16, he says, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good gift. I think it was cited earlier that, that Romans 8.28 sometimes gets 
tossed out there is kind of cliche-ish that, that all things work together for the good of the those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. Sometimes, maybe especially the hard things. But there is no shifting as in a shadow. There's nothing, there's nothing outside of God. There's not the sun or a light or something that blocks that as that moves, it changes the shadow. If we stand in one spot and the sun moves across, our shadow moves. That's not true with God. God does not change his plan. And God does not change his promises. A few chapters later, after Genesis 3 were revealed first time his plan, he makes the promise in the call of Abram. He says, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. It's a promise he made to Abram to be, who will be Abraham. And hearkens to the Jewish nation and to Jesus Christ. We spoke of essence earlier. And said, that is what makes God, God. The essence is the substance of his being. It's who God is. Not just speaking of his his non-corporeal or his spirit, but we really get a whole different look in the book of Hebrews. It says, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of his being. Jesus Christ was the exact representation of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sounds like God. In John 14, he tells his disciples, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ. In the beginning, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. The fall of man, the separation from God. He travels through time and space, and God's plan laid out. With with all those things that happened from from the do happen, between Genesis 1-1 and Revelations 22 21, revealing who God is. God moved all that. From before that existed, this was the plan of his, of his eternal being. Recognizing the fall, seeing the fall, and seeing the separation, his plan for the restoration 
that those he chose, that those he called, will be with him in eternity. And so we have the, the, uh, the God-man. The God-man. Two natures. Human nature and a divine nature. Theologians call it homoousius, same substance. Council of Nicene in 325. These things that, that people struggled with for years. And they, they came to that statement. You'll find this in the Apostles' Creed and the, the Nicene Creed. This is who God is. This is, this is who Jesus is. The same substance. The Anthropos, the God-man. And so we see the unchangeable character of his purpose to bring believers into full enjoyment of their promised inheritance. God did that. God did that for each and every one of us. God's announced intentions, they do not change. There's no part of his eternal change. There's no part of his eternal plan that changes. You don't have to think very long before other questions arise. Well, why pray? If God's plan is is irrevocable from beginning to end, and he's made that determination from beginning to end, then why do we pray? Because he tells us to. Because he teaches us to. And as often as not, if there's, if there's you know, it's, it's not about changing God, it's about changing us. When I ride my bike out on the hook out there, it's, uh, and some of you have experienced this, with the wind blowing, I feel like I'm going uphill. And it's just, a, it's hard pedaling. But if I, when, I, when I go the other direction, and I got the wind to my back, you know, I could say I could say the wind was impeding me, and now the wind is working for me. But I changed I changed direction, and oftentimes that's what's happening in the context of our prayers. As we grow in understanding of of who God is and what His eternal purposes are, and who we are in that relationship. And I'm not going to go into it too far because I don't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't talk and cry at the same time. But in God's eternal plan, there's things that happen that we don't understand. In this congregation, there's been the loss of children, there's been the loss of parents, there's been the loss of spouse. There's hard things that happen within the context of life. But the same things are still true. All things work together. And I don't know what, I don't know why. 
But it's there. And this is why we come alongside one another. This is why we take the struggles that we've had with some of those issues and, and come alongside and encourage others that are experiencing the same thing. Our God is a consuming fire. And he, he was not going to destroy the sons of Jacob as he spoke of in, in the book of Malachi. But he did, he did introduce heat. He does adjust. Even as when you make a sword, when you make steel, the temperature, the duration, turns that into the type of blade that you want for the purpose that you want. And the same thing God does with us. He brings the heat. He brings the light. Brings the darkness. That, that strengthens us. That turns us into the, uh, the clay for the kind of pottery that He wants. For His glory. And who we are. We are called to be good clay in the potter's hands. And so we go to a Romans 11. Is oh the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so as we run our fingers across our understanding of the micro and the mic, macro and the micro and, and have our thoughts stimulated, we go back to that place where on the night that Jesus had dinner with his disciples, He said, remember. Remember. Yes, we have in the beginning God created all things. And yes, they fell. The first humans. But God restored. You know, I just... I've read books, so have you, that at some point in that, my mind hops out as I look at those stories and I go, what kind of person thought of that? You know, this is, whether it's Asimov, whether it's Heinlein, whether it's King, whether it's, I mean, it's occasionally it just catches me. But, but, you know, it's interesting. Can we put aside that thing where we have become so familiar with the gospel? And look at that picture from beginning to end where we have Jesus Christ dying upon the cross for our sins, taking our penalty and being raised from the dead. And and today, today, God is in heaven with a body 
And it, it's, it's, it's not the same body that he had here. And the, the Revelations talks about that. I mean, his, his eyes are like fire. His feet are like bronze. I mean, his divinity is shining through that. But today I would encourage you to think about the total, what God has done for us. When I say us, I should bring that back to Steve, to Tom, to George, to Seth, for Isaac, for Bethany. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Remember. Father, we, we thank you for the truth of your word that we can spend the rest of our lives, and we do, growing in understanding. Or we just can never, ever sound them depths. I remember this statement that we will have all eternity, we will have all eternity to investigate infinity. We will have all eternity to investigate infinity. Got another brain cramp. Lord, we just come before you. We're so thankful for who you are. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.